everybody to Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. We're back on time this time and we're not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm Mallory <laughs> and I'm Ashley. We're back at Mallory's house. I haven't been here in since this year. No, yeah. Since, yeah, definitely before New Year's. It's pretty cool to be back. Yeah, it's a really cool place. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> As you can tell, we're still a little rusty. <laughs> Don't know what to say. But um, I will be telling you guys a story tonight, and I am very excited. I literally just finished it, so I hope you like it. Um, I guess we'll start out by talking about what's new with you, Mallory. What is new with me? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that I wanted to kill everybody on Friday. Earmuffs, police. <laughs> <laughs> FBI. Um, yeah, no. I Work has been really annoying lately. Just because people are stupid. <clears throat> and no one else knows how to do it. I think I feel like I say this every fucking episode, so never mind. I'm not going to complain about work anymore. So what else have I done in the last two weeks? I've got my voice back. It's fully on. It's fully on. I still have like a cough sometimes randomly for some reason. Ugh. That happened to me after I had COVID too. I just had a cough randomly for like three months. That's awful. Yeah. Well, speaking of people being stupid, <laughs> I fully agree with you on that comment. I have a few examples as to why people are stupid Okay. <laughs> that I learned this week. Did you hear about Alabama saying that killing an embryo is like killing a baby? Or I didn't hear that, but I've seen posts of like of people saying, you know, this isn't a baby, blah, blah, blah. And I wondered like why all of a sudden that was like yeah. everyone was posting about that. I didn't even hear the headline. That's crazy. Apparently, sorry if I'm butchering this. Maybe I should look this up. So I don't <laughs> make shit up. Yeah. Embryo Alabama. <laughs> I want to live there. That's a beautiful name for a baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> or a city, a bustling city. Thriving. <laughs> okay, so this article says Alabama's highest court ruled frozen embryos are people. What is next? The Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos created and stored for in vitro fertilization are children under a state law allowing parents to sue for wrongful death of their minor children. The ruling revived three families' lawsuits accusing a Mobile, Alabama fertility clinic and the hospital where it's located of failing to properly safeguard frozen embryos, resulting in their destruction. So there's a lawsuit because some embryos were destroyed and they're claiming that they killed oh my god them how many were so, there so if you know anything about IVF then you know that they take several eggs out of like, the woman <laughs> like, and they have to fertilize them all yeah. just so your chances of getting a winner right are better so what happens with all those fertilized eggs that you know. Okay. Yeah, so what yeah, so like why is this a problem now versus it hasn't been a problem in the past for those ones that they that weren't good enough, quote unquote. I don't know, but this morning I saw Yeah, like what were they doing with them before? Were they just keeping Obviously, them frozen forever? Right. There's gonna be no more space. Yeah. Like what about real people? Like Yeah. 
are we just going to have freezers? <laughs> like a city of freezers called Embryo, Alabama? <laughs> There's no way they're going to use all of the embryos that they create. And I there's no not. way they ever have used all of the embryos they've created. There's no way that they have all of the embryos they created from whenever the hell IVF began. <laughs> Someone tweeted, putting a baby in a freezer would kill it, but freezing embryos keeps them alive. That's why an embryo isn't a baby. Hope that helps if you're very stupid. <laughs> and the comments underneath are like... Oh God, I'm sure it's a dumpster fire. It is... So another thing that affirms our belief that people are stupid oh. is Donald Trump has come out with a sneaker drop. Are you kidding me? What? What does it look like? Okay, I just want to play you guys a TikTok because he just fully <laughs> says everything we need to know. Okay. And also you can actually see the sneakers. Okay. We gonna vote for who because we love sneakers? This is connecting with black America because they love sneakers. They're into sneakers. They love the, you know, this is a big deal, certainly in, in the inner city. So when you have Trump roll out his sneaker line, they're like, wait a minute, this is cool. He's reaching them on a level that defies and is above politics. The culture always trumps politics. And Trump understands culture like no politician I've ever seen. Question for you on that point, though. Yeah. Will the people that are excited about the sneakers and excited about Donald Trump Will that translate into them going out and voting for Donald Trump? Look, anybody willing to put 400 bucks down for a pair of sneakers? Yeah, I think that's commitment and love. I it's hope something. You're right. It's something. It's effective. <laughs> Number one, we not gonna ignore the way they've criminalized diversity, equity, and inclusion. Plus, these shoes is ugly. Number two, outside of Candace Owens and the rest of the Blexit Brigade, who do you think is going to be interested in the air fraud ones, the January 6s? They gold, red, white, and blue. No. Number three, ain't no way in hell y'all think the January 6s, the air fraud ones, is going to make us forget about how y'all have bastardized the concept of being woke that come from our culture and community in the same sentence you're talking about how this man is so equipped of understanding culture. Oh, you smoking dope and dog food. Number four, Fox News was engaging in textbook pathological race hustling. You see what I'm saying? And race baiting, talking about some black people going to vote for us because they love sneakers. If you're willing to pay $400 for the sneakers, of course you're a vote for them. Who going to tell them? Number five, do y'all really believe after y'all chastise my community for supporting criminals that we going to support this criminal right here? Hell no. Nah. Number six, we standing with the watermelon state, not the apartheid state. We know where you stand at. You know what we talking about right now? That you out your goddamn mind if you believe them ugly-ass sneakers will make us just forget who you really be cheeking up with. Number seven, I still ain't forgot when he said that there are fine people on both sides and the other side with some tiki torch-carrying maniacs. I still ain't forgot that. And them ugly sneakers, they ain't helping no better. Oh, my God. <laughs> Isn't that wild? What? kind of world are we living in right now i'm afraid yeah well it, it just comes back to our point people are fucking stupid do you really i mean everything he just said mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean do you really think that's gonna buy a vote no <laughs> like what is his like marketing team doing they're like you know what black people like they like sneakers yeah we got steaks we got what else do they got i don't know 
I think we should add sneakers. Well, you remember he did that NFT thing for a while too. Mm-mm. I mean, that's not like that's not like targeting a race really, but it's targeting <laughs> targeting crypto bros, I guess. Where he made all these NFTs, and I'm sure they're worth negative five million dollars now. Anyway, it's just stupid. <laughs> it's just stupid, and he's totally right. Those are the ugliest shoes I've ever seen in my entire life. If you guys haven't seen them, they are shiny gold yeah like really shiny and they have an american flag on them (laughs) and then there's a big t yeah they're like high tops and i like that he called them air fraud ones (laughs) and january sixes yeah january sixes (laughs) so good (laughs) oh my gosh so my boss was actually telling me about this before i saw that tiktok and then she's like did you see that donald trump like launched these ugly sneakers and I was like, she showed me a picture of them. And I was just like, I don't see Republicans being interested in those. No. It completely like went over my head yeah. that there was a reason he was trying to. Right. Yeah. It just yeah. completely went over my head. She was yeah. probably like, wow, you're an idiot. But I'm just thinking of, well, I don't know his political affiliations, but what our friend Isaiah would think because he's a sneakerhead. Oh, my God. <laughs> he even had a podcast about sneakers. Yes. Wow. Oh, my God. That's insane. Thank you for bringing me those lovely highlights. (laughs) I'm so sorry you live here on this planet Earth. Yeah, me too. (laughs) We are drinking what is called a chichi chowchilla. Oh, (laughs) what? And a chichi, if you don't know, I didn't, is basically a pina colada, but with vodka instead of rum. But I kind of simplified it as much as I could. Basically, it's just two shots vodka and two shots pina colada cream liqueur. It's good. It's yummy. It reminds me of being on the beach in Puerto Rico. And they there's like these dudes that come by with like a little, it's like ice cream or like um, popsicle or like, it's not ice cream. It's, um I don't even know what you call it. I think they probably have a name for it there, but it's like slushy type thing. Oh. But they had a pina colada one. And it tastes very similar to this, and it's so good. Oh, my gosh. And I want to go to the beach right now. Yes. So if you want to make a real chichi chowchilla, you'll need <laughs> half cup ice, two ounces vodka, two ounces pineapple juice, one ounce cream of coconut, and then some fresh pineapple for garnish. But I'm not really about putting juice in my drinks. I don't know. I feel like it would ruin this. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> so like why. sweet. I don't know. It's so it's like perfect as it is. It's so yummy. Good. All walking. Well, are you ready to get into this story? Yeah, because I just can't think of anything else that's important. Oh, oh. I think of something. <laughs> I think of something. <laughs> oh I my don't... god! Hang on. What? Do you remember when you? Would always say that the way that you broke up with your boyfriends <laughs> yes. is I break up with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really? Well, I break up with you. <laughs> so funny. Oh my God. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. That is so funny. I remembered that I wanted to talk about this because I just got a text from ATT. Was your phone not working on Thursday? I have T Mobile, so my phone was working on Thursday. 
Well, even some T-Mobile people, it wasn't working. Oh, well. I don't know. I guess it was in like certain cities and AT&T, I think, was most affected. Yeah. It was pretty scary, honestly. Like, I was on my phone in the morning at my house. And then as soon as I got in the car and drove away from my house, I noticed I couldn't listen to my podcast. And then I realized I can't even Google why is my phone saying SOS yeah, on it. Yeah, that's so nuts. And then I was like, wait, I can't even call anyone to tell them my phone's not working. And when I got to work, a bunch of people's phones weren't working either. Yeah. Like my boss. Um, we couldn't even, like, communicate. And then... At work, sometimes you need a two-factor authentication system, and you have to like yeah, send you a text. Too. Yeah, and then if your phone's not working, honestly, I thought maybe the world might be ending for a second. Yeah, that's not I, my coworker. I when I took over for her that morning, it was at five a.m. She was like, "Yeah, my phone's not working." Blah blah blah. I was like, "Yeah, mine seems to be working," but I wasn't sure because I was still on the you know Wi-Fi at home. So I turned it off, and it was still fine. I texted. Houston and he responded back and so I was like well it seems to be working but yeah we've I mean I looked it up and it was from a solar flare right oh I had no idea yeah. I just saw I just saw that there was like a cellular outage no, it was around. a huge it was like one of the I think it's the most powerful class of solar flare that can happen what's a solar flare it I'm not <laughs> sure the technical terms but have you ever seen a picture or a video of the sun where, like, some, like, lava-almost-looking crap, like, flies out of it. And no? Like, that's, what, that's what it is. It's just, what like... the fuck? So it is almost the end of the world. Protons or whatever that, like, protons? shoot out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Plasma, maybe? I don't know. No, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds me. I was, like, doing a photo shoot this week, and we had this really cool flower, like, one of those that almost looks spiky, and we are trying to figure Ooh. out what they're called. And I was like, oh, I think it's called a protozoa, which is like a one-celled. Yeah. And also the name of the musician that everyone loved in Xenon Girl of the 21st century. Uh, yeah. With the spiky hair. Maybe that's why it's... No, no, I'm sad. No, that doesn't make sense. Because the flower is not called a protozoa. Zoom, zoom, zoom. Megahago, boom, boom. Supernova girl. Supernova girl, that's right. I'm going to start my story. Yeah, let's see. I want to know if I know it. Okay. So tonight, we're going to be talking about the Chowchilla school bus abduction. I've never heard of At least I don't recognize the name. I've never heard of Chowchilla before. <laughs> and I feel like the drink name would have tipped me off if I did know about it. <laughs> Thank God. I was so yeah. afraid that you would know mm-hmm. every detail and that this would be super boring for you. I don't think I've ever heard of this. Okay. I'm going to take a guess, though. Is this a, Did this happen in Texas? No. Okay. Chowchilla oh. just sounds... <laughs> it does sound very Texas. The vodka is from Texas, but not this story. Our story takes place in the small farming town of Chowchilla, California, oh. located northwest of Fresno in California's Central Valley. Mm. Nothing too exciting happened there. It was a sleepy town, notorious for their rodeos and cattle drives that would take place down the main street of the town. It was said to be a good place to grow up, but something would happen in Chowchilla that would rip the residents from their slow-paced day-to-day and transport them into a nightmarish reality. The day was July 15th, (gasps) 1976. Uh, 11 years before I was born. Well, 
it was a good day. Yeah. On not this day, but <laughs> on July 15th, 1976, Starland vocal band's Afternoon Delight was the top song on the charts. You know that one? Afternoon Delight. Yeah. Uh-huh. Popular, well, popularized again by the movie Anchorman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Starring Will Ferrell. <laughs> Wait. Oh, yeah. Will Ferrell. Yeah, he's Ron Burgundy. Skyrockets in flight. Afternoon delight. Afternoon delight. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) Yes. It was a hot summer day. It was the second to last day of summer school for many of the Chowchilla children. Oh, shit. Summer school. Did you, I'm sure you didn't. Did you ever have to do summer school? There's no way you In did. college, I did well, some yeah, summer yeah. classes, but no. That's usually voluntary. <laughs> this summer school wasn't what you think. This was a summer school that was very popular um, for working parents. It was essentially oh. a day camp. Oh. So the kids would go on field trips to the pool, do crafts, that kind of fun stuff. Okay. It was so popular with the children that there was a petition going around signed by 65 people to keep summer school going for another three weeks. So it was fun. That July afternoon, parents were preparing for their children to get dropped off from the bus, but they never showed. Parents began to look along the route, but they found nothing. Around 3.45 that afternoon, 911 dispatchers started receiving calls from panicked parents reporting that their kids never came home from summer school. During this time, there was only one patrol officer on duty, and the calls flooding in from parents were overwhelming. It appeared as though midway through the bus route, the Dairyland Elementary School bus had vanished into thin air. So there was only one bus? There were several buses, but this particular one... Okay. Did not make it. Yeah. There were 26 children on board, 19 girls and 7 boys, with ages ranging from 5 to 14. And also missing, the well-known and loved bus driver, Edward Ray. No. The sheriff put out an all-points bulletin, and frightened parents began congregating at the police station, desperate for answers. I can't even imagine. Oh, my God. I would be throwing up. I think I'd just have a heart attack. Yeah. Initially, everyone assumed that there must have been some car trouble, Mm-hmm. But the police of Chowchilla scoured every road in the city, and the bus was nowhere to be found. Oh my God, how does the bus just disappear? Which raised red flags. If the bus wasn't pulled over somewhere on the side of the road, where could it be? The media was all over this story, which caught the attention of a local pilot who offered to search for the bus by plane, giving an entirely new vantage point. Mm-hmm. Miraculously, around 6 p.m., the pilot spotted the bus. It was not easy to see, though. The Dairyland bus was found nine miles west of town in a drainage ditch covered by bamboo. When police entered the bus, they found no one. It was empty. What the fuck? And the dust that lined the interior suggested that it had been empty for a while. Wait, how long? Well, so in this area, this part of California... They're in a valley where there's a lot of sand and dirt oh, and dust, okay. and it just is like dusty as fuck. All yeah, the time. yeah, yeah. So but there are no like recent handprints or yeah, yeah it I had gotcha. been like just like there was a coat of dust on the seats. So oh. it had been a little bit since mm-hmm. someone had been in there. Did they spot it on the same day or 
the same day. Okay. So what the fuck? It didn't reach its the bus didn't reach its destination um, when it was supposed to, which was around three thirty, and the pilot spotted it around six p.m. Dang. So what the fuck? Like just I can't imagine like my kid's supposed to be home at three thirty and it's six p.m. Yeah, and they find the bus empty. And the bus is empty. Just even those two and a half hours, like, it seems short, like, well, you know. that would have seemed like an entire day, probably, because <sighs> you're worrying about your child. The media went feral about this story. Mm-hmm. They were tying up the phone lines trying to get more information. The sheriff was attending press conference after press conference as they continued their search for the missing children. The bus driver, Edward Ray's name, was starting to be thrown around as a potential suspect. Conspiracy theories were starting to form. Was it the son of Sam? The Zodiac Killer? Oh, shit. Or perhaps the Moonies? News traveled fast, and it didn't take long for the case to take the world by storm. President Gerald Ford and the governor of California, Jerry Brown, gave law enforcement agencies unlimited funds to look for the children. The FBI filled up the town's only two motels. They were on a mission. Where was Ed Ray and the 26 children that were on that bus? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 28 hours after the bus went missing, Edward Ray and the children were found two and a half hours away in Livermore Quarry. It was about 8.05 p.m., and a worker at the quarry happened to see a large group of children walking toward him. As he got closer, he began to realize... These were the missing children that were all over the news. He told the bus driver and the kids, the whole world is looking for you. Yeah, what in the fuck are they doing there? Two detectives were the first to arrive on the scene. They reported that the kids were covered in dust and dirt, but seemed relatively calm considering the circumstances. They loaded the children onto a bus used to transport prisoners and took them to a rehabilitation branch of a minimum security prison called Santa Rita. The kids were given white prison jumpsuits that were about 100 sizes too big, (laughs) apples, and cartons of milk. They seemed in pretty good spirits, and the detectives took them back one by one for interviews. And this is what the police learned. Oh my god, what happened? After a fun day at summer school, the Dairyland students bounded excitedly to their respective bus. Edward Ray loved the kids and knew them all by name. Ed was about 55 and stocky. He was a rancher and had also worked as a bus driver for years and years. He was well known in the community. After everyone loaded the buses, they began to depart the school when suddenly Edward's bus was waved down by a 14-year-old named Mike Marshall. Mike didn't typically ride the bus, but his mother had caught him sneaking beer the night prior and yeah. riding the bus was his punishment. Look at his attitude in this picture. (laughs) He is a cool guy. Yeah, he thinks he's all that. So his father was a cowboy, like literally. Like Mm. this part of the country is known for, you know, rodeos and like cowboys. I don't know. Like he was obsessed with his father and his father's friends and like wanted to be a cowboy just like them. But... He had gotten into his parents' beer and got caught. And so his punishment was riding the bus, which to that I say, Mike's mom isn't a regular mom. 
she's a cool mom. She's a cool mom. Because that is not a punishment. No. <laughs> but it is today. <laughs> yeah. Having never ridden the bus, Mike wasn't even sure he was on the right one. But Edward said he could take the boy home. So off they went. Everything seemed normal for the first half of the ride. The children were rambunctious, still in their swimsuits, and buzzing from their day at the pool. The bus drove along the usual desolate roads lined with orchards and farms when all of a sudden, Edward spotted a white van stopped in the middle of the road. It was a 71 Dodge with the door open. Technically, he wasn't supposed to stop a bus route. But Ed was unable to pass, and to be honest, he was a helper and wanted to extend a hand if needed. As Ed parked the bus, two men got out of the van. One man had a pistol, and the other had a sawed-off shotgun. Oh, God. They politely asked that Ed open the door. Fearing for his life, he did as he was told. The men boarded the bus, pointing their guns at Ed and the kids. They both were wearing pantyhose over their face, which made their eyes look like flesh-colored caverns and smushed their noses down. At first, the kids thought this must be a prank. Ed must have planned this to scare them into behaving. One child even stood up and put his hands up and said, We didn't do it, which got a few chuckles from the crowd. The man ordered Ed to move to the back of the bus. When Ed left the driver's seat and joined the children in the back of the bus, they knew this was a serious situation. Ed would never give up the wheel. You remember riding the bus? I never rode the bus. You never rode the bus? I rode the bus to like field trips, but I went to a freaking stupid ass <laughs> Christian private school. Oh my gosh. That so. was very small and I my mom took me to school every day. That sucks. Yeah. I was jealous. I remember waiting for the bus with my Walkman listening to Lincoln Park. <laughs> I I remember riding my, the front seat of my mom's van with my stupid uh, disc man listening to Evanescence <laughs> on the way to high school. Oh my God, if she only knew. I know. <laughs> Actually, they were a Christian band, right? I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Hmm. I'm sure I had, I had it blasting and she could hear everything. Wake me up inside. Yes. Wake me up inside. But the bus driver, like, their personality trait was they are attached to the seat. Like, you don't see them stand up. You don't know what their bottom half looks like. They're a bus driver. Yeah. So to see a bus driver get up and go to the back of the bus, that would have been jarring. Oh, and man. That's exactly how the children took it. Like, he left the seat. He's in the back of the bus. This is this yeah. is wrong. This sounds like they planned to ambush somebody, mm -hmm. right? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, seems like it was a setup. Totally. One of the men took the driver's seat and started the engine, while the other man kept his gun pointed at the children. They drove for about fifteen minutes when suddenly the driver jerked the wheel, throwing the bus off the road and into a ditch. Ugh. The kids were jostled as the bus crashed to a stop in a bamboo thicket. Confused, the kids looked out the back of the bus and saw there were now two vans. The original van, which was white, and now a green van. What? At gunpoint, the kidnappers forced those on the right side of the bus into the back of the white van, and the kids on the left into the green van. They had them jump from the bus into the van so there would be no footprints. What? Ew. 
The back of the vans had been lined with plywood and soundproofed. There was no looking out or in. The armed men shut the van doors, locking their victims in total darkness. Then the engine started and they started to drive. And drive. And drive. Ed and the children were forced to endure 11 hours inside the back of those sealed up vans. It was a hot day, over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. There was no ventilation, no water, and no stops or bathroom breaks. It was a torturous 11 hours. How did some of the, like, five-year-olds not die? I have no idea. Some children would throw up from a mix of car sickness, pure fear, and heat exhaustion. God. Ed and Mike Marshall, the oldest child on the bus at 14, took the role of caretaker to the younger kids. They did their best to keep them calm by singing songs, praying, and assuring them that everything would be okay. But deep down, they weren't so sure. After an eternity of driving in the miserable conditions, the van stopped. It was about 3 a.m. the next day. God. The kids heard sawing and hammering, and then the van doors would open. The kidnappers took Ed first. They asked for his name, his address, and the name of his family members, Then they asked for his pants and his boots and forced him into a box that was inset into the ground. And then down a ladder into a deep hole into the ground. What? So I'll try and describe this to you. So, like, here's the ground. Yeah. There's, like, a box, like, inset. Okay. And then at the bottom of the box, there's a hole with a ladder that goes down into the ground. And, oh, my God, what's at the bottom? Do we know? Yeah, I'm going to tell you. Okay. The kidnappers proceeded to grab one child at a time, take them out of the van, and lock it back. The kids waited in darkness, scared to death, unsure of what would happen on the other side of those doors. The kids told police that when they exited the van, they found themselves in some kind of large, tented-off area with construction lights flooding the tent with light. They had no clue where they possibly could be. The kidnappers took a piece of clothing from each person and wrote down their names, ages, addresses, and parents' names. After that, they escorted the children one by one into the box. The box had a round hole in the bottom with a ladder leading into darkness, and there was no telling where it led. This is the weirdest shit I've ever heard in my entire life. I know. Isn't that what so scary? What the hell? Ed Ray was already down in the hole with a flashlight. They were now in an enclosed structure of some kind, roughly 8 feet by 16 feet in size. It wasn't a cave. It felt kind of like a huge box, or a coffin built for 27 people. It was almost completely dark, except for the beam of light coming from the flashlight. They could see some 4x4s reinforcing the roof of the box, much like the inside of a mine. The floor was covered with old mattresses, There was no way to make out where they were. It was horrifying. The only consolation was that they weren't separated anymore. Many of the kids were torn from their siblings when they were split up into the two vans. There were a few jugs of water and some food on a table at the end of the box, but it was just enough for about one serving per person. So there was like some Wonder Bread, some peanut butter, and some Cheerios. And that was it. What the hell? There were also a few makeshift toilets constructed out of boxes with holes in the top. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> I get, P.S. I'm can you imagine really fast. all those kids vomiting in the back of those vans? Oh my and god. Being in there for 11 hours in the heat? Sick. 
sick. I think I would die. Yeah. Oh, the poor baby. I cannot even believe this. This is insane. What the fuck? Who are these fucking people? So they're down there and they start getting their bearings. And then all of a sudden, the ladder was pulled up from the hole. And then some kind of heavy manhole cover was dragged over it. Then complete darkness. That was the only exit. They were trapped in the pitch black darkness yet again. When the hole was covered, the weight from the heavy object caused the structure to creak. The supports were doing what they could to support the weight, but the metal roof above them was starting to bow and dirt began trickling in onto the children. Oh my god. There was no telling how long that roof would hold. The air was thick and hot, but there was a shoddy ventilation system in the structure that allowed a battery-operated fan to circulate the air. It did nothing to help with the intense heat and thick dust that filled the box, but it could keep them from completely running out of oxygen. If those batteries died, they would be screwed. Yeah. Ed Ray was initially against tampering with the exit, saying that the children would get hurt if the kidnappers caught them trying to escape. But the children begged him to try to get the top off. To appease the upset children, Edward stood up, raised his arms, and attempted to push the cover up, but it wouldn't budge. He didn't have the leverage needed to put all his strength into it. After an hour, what little food was available was eaten and the water was running out. Sometime later, the battery-operated fan started to slow and eventually stopped altogether. Oh, God. (laughs) The situation obviously was getting very dire. If they didn't get out soon, they were bound to suffocate in that box. Yeah. The frightened children began to cry uncontrollably. Ed and the older kids made every attempt to try and keep them calm. Eventually, Ed was able to get them to settle down and get some rest on the old dirty mattresses. When everyone was sleeping, one child must have had a nightmare and kicked one of the 4 by 4 supports, causing the roof to start caving in. Oh, God. Everyone was startled awake by the sound of creaking metal and dirt pouring into the structure. Eventually, it stopped, and the 8 by 16 space was clouded with dust. The children had to remain still because one wrong move could cause the roof to cave in even more. We're going to take a little break. All right. Leave you on a little cliffhanger. I'm I'm kind of mad that we're taking a break. <laughs> well, hold on to your butts. <laughs> I cannot believe this. It just gets crazier, guys. Oh, my God. Uh, what the fuck? How have I never heard of this? Be right back. Okay, bye. <laughs> we're back. We just took a quick trip to a plebis. <laughs> a plebis? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we added some cinnamon to the drink. We did. Yeah. And then I said, cinnamon is the winamon. <laughs> and I thought Mallory made that up. And I was nope. like, that's really great. <laughs> if you had cable in the 90s. Well, I did, but I didn't. Maybe I just ignored Applejack's commercials because oh. I didn't like that cereal. I, I don't know. It's garbage, but I loved it. And my mom would never buy it for some reason. Probably because it was pure sugar. <laughs> Okay, guys, (laughs) we're going to get back to the story. I need to know what happened immediately, please. Thank you. At this point, Edward was scared and defeated. According to Mike Marshall, Ed had lost all hope and told the children that the only thing they could do was to wait for help or kick the bucket. (sighs) But Mike Marshall was determined. 
He told the others that if they were going to die, they were going to die doing everything they could to get out of there. Mm -hmm. He started stacking mattresses underneath the hole. The younger kids worked with all their might and did all they could to help Mike. Once all the mattresses were stacked, he climbed to the top where he was able to get more leverage. I feel like, you know what, Mike, you are a true cowboy. <laughs> he is. He is. Ugh. I judged you for your attitude earlier, but. <laughs> he's just 14 years old. Yeah, he's just a kid, he's man. He's figuring it out. He's a brave kid, dude. So once he had the leverage, he pushed as hard as he could trying to move the cover. He didn't feel like he was doing anything, making any progress, but then he heard the kids screaming that they saw the lid move slightly. <gasps> but Mike couldn't do this alone. The children begged Ed to help, but he was hesitant. He didn't want to risk getting caught and put the children in any more danger. Yeah. Eventually, after testing the stability of the stacked mattresses, he climbed up with Mike and the two of them pushed. It would barely budge but they got it open just wide enough for Mike to stick his arm through and feel around. Oh my God. If Ed would have dropped the lid, Ugh. Mike would have lost his arm. Dude. Yeah, the thing had to have been super heavy. After maneuvering the lid, they were able to see one of the objects that was on top of the cover. It was a bus battery. What? And it looked like there were actually two of them. Holy shit. The perimeter around the lid was too small to knock them off, so they had to shimmy the lid in such a way that they were able to pull the batteries down into the hole. The combined weight of those two bus batteries was at least 300 pounds. Oh my god. What is going on? Why? So once they got the batteries down into the hole... They were able to get the lid off, but then they were met with that three-foot-tall wooden box. And I'm assuming they took the ladder. They took the ladder, and now that box that was once open was completely sealed. Fuck. Mike and another child, 11-year-old Jeff Brown, pushed, kicked, and could not get through the wooden lid. It was sealed tight. Mike climbed back down to try to find something to pry it open with, and he came back with two pieces of wood from one of the box spring mattresses. The two boys pounded and pounded, but to no avail. It seemed impossible. But then Mike started digging into the bottom crevice, eventually making it through the plywood, which caused dirt to flow down the side of the box. He thought if he kept at it, eventually they could decrease the weight on the top and smash their way out, which is so smart. I would have yes. never even thought that. No. Oh, my God. Kids are smart, though, man. I feel like they think about things that adults don't necessarily think about anymore. Yeah, because they're too worried about dumb shit. Yeah. Eventually, Mike managed to lift the lid just a crack. He peeked out and saw nothing but blackness. He began hallucinating. Oh, God, yes. Oh, my God. I can imagine. Have you ever been in darkness, like complete darkness, and you're like, oh, shit, I just saw something? Actually, I forgot to mention this, but when Ed Ray had the kids all take a nap, some of the kids started hallucinating. Oh, they were, God. like, looking up at the top of the structure, and they hallucinated. Yeah. Or one of the kids hallucinated that they saw the three kidnappers, they, like, saw through the roof. 
through the ground, and then they saw the three kidnappers sleeping in a bed. What? Yeah. Extreme fear. All of the elements can cause hallucinations. Yeah. So when Mike opened that box, he began hallucinating that there was nothing but darkness above them. That they were never going to get out. At that point, he was completely exhausted. He was weak, dehydrated, and scared shitless. Yeah. He climbed back down through the hole and decided it was pointless. There was no way out. No, don't give up now. He sat down and thought about his idol, his dad. His dad was a cowboy, just like Mike wanted to be. There was no way a cowboy would accept this fate. That's right. So he took some time, got his bearings, and went back up. He started pounding on the plywood top and finally made a crack. He stuck his fingers in that crack and pulled out a strip of wood. Dirt began pouring in. He stuck his hands into the hole and pulled and pulled and pulled. And that 14-year-old boy pulled a huge hole into the top and a ray of light shined through. (gasps) He'd done it. Oh, my God. After 11 hours of pushing, pounding, digging, he had made it to the surface. Yeah, but what's waiting for them up there? I mean, I know they were okay, but... (laughs) Well, he knew that there were going to be two scenarios that could go down. Scenario one, the kidnappers were up there just waiting to shoot him dead. Or scenario two, they were getting out of there. Mike climbed through the gap and looked around, and he had no idea where they were. But he saw trees, and it felt like they may be in the mountains... There was no one around. What the fuck? Why? What is the point of this? It's so dumb. No, this is going to piss me off. You are going to be so pissed off. So one by one, the children were pulled out of the hole in the ground. They had literally been buried alive. Yeah. When Ed got out of the hole, he told all the kids they had to be quiet. And then they started walking. And that's when they found the quarry worker. After 16 hours underground, they were safe. I would be afraid the quarry worker was in on it. (laughs) I'm sure they were. And the quarry worker, when he saw them, he thought they were, like, trespassing on the quarry. So he hit the alarm, which, like, sounded this crazy alarm. Yeah. But then he realized these were the kids that were all over the news. So once the kids were safe, did their interviews, etc., They were taken to Disneyland and given a parade to celebrate their safety and heroic efforts. Weird. Ed Ray was... Oh, my God. (laughs) Ed Ray was rewarded with 7,500 pounds of barbecue beef. What? Did you say 7,500? Yeah. Uh, He probably didn't have a freezer big enough for that. (laughs) I don't know. But February 26th, His birthday, two days from now, was officially declared Ed Ray Day. Ed Ray Day. But for the parents, it wasn't enough. They needed the people responsible caught and prosecuted. Oh, hell yes. Those people need to be treated the same way that they treated the kids. So after the kids were rescued, they were taken to safety at Santa Rita Rehabilitation Center and questioned. Meanwhile, investigators processed the scene. 
they were baffled by the hole in the ground. Initially, they thought this must be a cave or an underground room. Bulldozers and excavators were brought in to dig around the site. To their surprise, it wasn't a room at all. Ed Ray and the 26 children were buried alive in a 27-foot moving van. What? What? Yeah. What? How did they put it there? There was a moving van underground. How the fuck? 12 feet underground. What the fuck? This is crazy. I know. What the fuck? <laughs> Why? A. <laughs> B. How? <laughs> so I now know. I'm showing Mallory some pictures of the investigators digging out the moving van. This is so weird. And inside, this is where they were trapped. And guys, we post all our photos on Instagram and Facebook. Oh my God, the toilets. The fact that 27 people were confined in that kind of space underground for that length of time was unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. And look at the roof, how it was caving in. Unbelievable that they managed to get out. That's crazy. Investigators checked the registration, and the details that came back led to nothing. The name it was registered under was Phony. But they did learn that the van had been buried in the quarry back in November of 1975. How'd they find that out? What else? Okay. <laughs> Which was eight months before the crime took place. They knew they were looking for three men in two vans. They gathered all the information they could from Ed Ray and the children. Some children even assisted in creating composite sketches. Eventually, the two vans were located in a one-story commercial facility in San Jose, California. The space where the vans were stored were rented by a young man six months prior to the crime. Ed Ray was brought in to identify the vans and dag flammit they were them. Mm. Inside one of the vans, they found a 12-gauge shotgun, which was most likely the same gun used in the kidnappings. They also found lumber and mattresses, the same as what was found in the hole. In addition, they found a Cadillac that had been spray-painted a flat black from its rims to, like, it was entirely flat black. Ew. <laughs> it was all very weird. One of the most interesting pieces of evidence they discovered were some journals, but the contents inside were written in some kind of code. What the fuck, Ashley? This is so bizarre. I know. Oh my God. This just keeps getting weirder. <laughs> and then there was a break in the case. A former worker at the quarry came forward with a ledger that they kept. He wrote about how he saw two men working on the site with bulldozers. He also wrote about how he saw two moving vans at the site. He'd given several warnings to the young men, and then one day, he found one of the same men going through some of the scrap metal in the scrapyard of the quarry. He asked for ID and learned that the man was Frederick Newhall Woods, who okay. was the son of the owner. Okay. 
I was about to say <laughs> that he gave them several warnings, like burying a moving van has to take hours and hours, if not days. Yeah. And you just were like, buddy, you got to quit <laughs> and just let it go. But since he's the owner's son, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how exactly that went down, but like, I think he kept seeing them and like seeing, I don't know, but he was just like, you guys got to get it out of here. And wrote but it in didn't the ledger. push the issue I at all? I don't know, like, but he documented, documented it in the ledger. God. But I feel it, like with safety standards today, they would be like, get out. I mean, he get sounded out. the alarm when the kids were walking yeah. up on him. I don't know why he didn't sound the alarm when he saw this shit. Yeah, right? I don't know. That's so weird. He must have ID'd them and been like, oh, it's a son. That's what I'm thinking. From the beginning. That's what I'm thinking. Because that's weird. Like, yeah. you don't bring construction equipment into the quarry. <laughs> construction equipment? And get a like, warning. <laughs> yeah. And moving van. Yeah. What the hell? Oh, my God, dude. So, his name was Frederick Newhall Woods, which was the son of the owner. Does he have a comb over? <laughs> or is that just the yeah, lighting? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's his... He looks really young, but he looks like he has a comb over. It's his hairdo, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's very 70s. So since he was the son of the owner, he let him carry on, but not without documenting it in his ledger. So who was this guy? Fred Newhall Woods. Well, he was 24 and the son of a wealthy family who resided in an affluent suburb of the Bay Area. The Newhall name was huge in California. The family had struck rich during the gold rush, amassing acres and acres of land. There were railroad towns named after them. They even owned the amusement park Magic Mountain. Really? Mm-hmm. Wait, is that a Disney ride? <laughs> it's a theme park, apparently. Okay. I think it competes. I don't know. Let's look it up. Maybe I'm thinking of Space Mountain. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah, you are, bitch. <laughs> well, now it's a Six Flags park. Oh. Speaking of Six Flags, have you ever heard anybody talk about other Six Flags in other states? And they say Six Flags. <laughs> no. I don't know why, but I feel like I've heard people talk, like may- maybe on podcasts or whatever, they talk about Six Flags. And everyone I've ever known in our state says six flags Mm -hmm. but i've heard other people like multiple times say six flags (laughs) what (laughs) well they're wrong you want to go to six flags (laughs) yeah it's terrible i kind of want to go to six flags haven't (laughs) rode a a roller coaster in a while me neither it's been a long time i think i'd be afraid kind of now i would too i'd feel like my aorta would detach from my heart yeah, I feel like maybe I'd get a back injury. Yeah. <laughs> or lose my phone or shoes. Or I feel like my brain would hemorrhage. Might have a stroke. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So back to Fred Newhall Woods. His family was rich as fuck. They owned Magic Mountain. And they also owned Livermore Quarry. In the Central Valley, where the children and bus driver were buried in the moving van, which led the police to Fred. Fred was described as a loner, directionless. 
and a trust fund kid worth over $100 million, which God, this is only in the 70s. So if you could imagine. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a massive amount to me now. So yeah. But Fred had a passion. He had a passion for cars. He owned over 50, many of them old pieces of junk. But his cars weren't near as fancy enough. He needed more. But he needed money. And until he could cash in on his trust fund, all he had was his allowance from his parents. So he started a business fixing up cars with his friend, 24-year-old James Schoenfeld. James and his younger brother, Rick, were sons of a wealthy podiatrist, and they were known to hang around Fred's family estate, shooting the shit and working on cars. How old were they? Were they all the same age? Fred and James were 24, and Rick was 22. But Rick looks like he's like 45 there. (laughs) (laughs) He's not. It's probably just, you know when you look at like old yearbook photos of like, like the 90s or something, all look like freaking 50-year-olds in their senior pictures? (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Ew. That's probably what's going on there. I looked like a, a huge lesbian in my senior picture. I looked like an idiot with a tulip on my head. A tulip? Upside down tulip. The haircut that I had at the time was like a bob, but I flipped it out. Oh my God, but that was so cool. I know, but it's terrible now. I had that same hairdo, but like my senior year, I got like this. It was literally a Karen haircut. It was like the straight in the front <laughs> and the short spiky oh in the back. Oh my God, the pixie cut. It was so short. I've never had my hair that short ever again. I never went that short. But it was it was a vibe. That used to be cool as shit, so. I used to be cool as shit. I don't know if I was ever cool as shit, but. Still am. <laughs> so we were talking about how James and his younger brother, Rick, they were sons of a wealthy podiatrist, and they hung around Fred's estate, Shooting the shit, working on cars. Fred had another friend, though, that he went into business with. Business with quotes. The friend was a film major, and the two started a production company called Townhouse Enterprises. Fred's plan was to fix up cars and sell them with the intention to back his friend's films, which Fred would then make money off of. But mostly, Fred just shot out car windows of his own projects for fun. Okay. Great business model. Cool. Great business model, Fred. He's really learned a lot about your enterprise from his father. Yes. He is a CEO of idiocy. This just reminds me of, like, obviously YouTube was not a thing back then. Like, all these rich YouTube kids that just do the stupidest fucking shit and get in trouble. Like jackass? Well, that, but I'm thinking of, like, what are their names? Like, Jake Paul or Logan Paul? Like, those... One of the two, like, went to Japan or something, like, a few years ago and, like, filmed a dead body in, like, a suicide forest thing that is there or whatever. And was, like... Making fun of it and, like, just being, like, had no respect at all. And, obviously, the whole world reacted like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And you put it on YouTube? Yes. 
Oh my God. Yeah. Terrible. But it, that's like just the attitude is like the same. It seems oh like my God. the same. Well, just wait. So, how did this kidnapping plot come to be? Well, it's literally the dumbest thing you're ever going to hear. So, get ready. I'm already pissed. <laughs> You know the movie Dirty Harry with Clint Eastwood? I have never seen it, but I, I know what you're talking about. I've never seen it either. But it is iconic, and now I kind of want to watch it. Yeah. Act- Actually, I really don't want to, but <laughs> maybe I should. But you've probably heard the famous line, You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> The film is loosely based on the notorious Zodiac Killer, which I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. But here, I'm going to just read you the storyline from Google. Okay. Cop Harry Callahan, Clint Eastwood, attempts to track down a psychopathic rooftop killer before a kidnapped girl dies. When he is found, Harry abuses the murderer's civil rights, putting him back on the streets. Once he is released, he hijacks a school bus and Harry must go after him again. The only way to stop this vicious killer is in cold blood. I'm going to slam my head into the table. I just pulled up some slides from some screenshots from the Dirty Harry movie. Where the antagonist hijacks a school bus, punches kids in the face... Sings Old MacDonald, punches kids in the face, puts a gun to a kid's head, etc. It was filmed in 1971. And Fred thought this movie was fantastic. Yeah, this is... Is this guy still alive? I'm gonna fucking... Yeah, he's still alive. (laughs) Oh my god. This motherfucker. I wanted to put this in, but I just didn't have time to... There were several kidnappings that were inspired by Dirty Harry. Really? All across the world. Oh my God. Like other school buses and stuff too? So the film allegedly inspired a real life crime, the Faraday school kidnapping in October 1972, soon after the release of the movie in Australia. Two armed men, one of whom coincidentally had the same name, Eastwood, kidnapped a teacher and six school children in Victoria. They demanded a one million ransom. The state government agreed to pay, but the children managed to escape and the kidnappers were subsequently jailed. Another incident was in September 1981. A case occurred in Germany under circumstances quite similar to the Barbara Mackey kidnapping. A 10-year-old girl, Ursula Herman, was buried alive in a box fitted with ventilation, lighting, and sanitary systems to be held for ransom. The girl suffocated in her prison within 48 hours of her abduction because autumn leaves had clogged up the ventilation duct. 27 years later, a couple were arrested and tried for kidnapping and murder on circumstantial evidence. This case was also dealt with in the German TV series don't even make me pronounce this. <laughs> Actenzechen. XY Unglost. <laughs> cool, good. So yeah. This, so this movie really influenced some people to do was some the shit. whole 
underground box thing in the movie as well, do you know? I don't think the underground box thing was in the movie, but I do know that the killer, whose name was Scorpio, which is not very creative cool. if you're modeling it after the Zodiac killer. Yeah. Um, he hijacked a bus and took all the kids hostage and they crashed into a quarry. Isn't that wild? That is kind of wild, dude. I'm so pissed off. So the movie Dirty Harry inspired Fred Woods to inspire his own movie. He writes to his film student Ugh. friend and business partner and tells him he has an amazing idea. A heist movie. While bumming around working on cars at his parents' estate, Fred brings up the idea to James and Rick. He frames it as a hypothetical, but he's dead serious. Wait a second. Did they film it? They didn't film it. Ugh. Fred explains they could hijack a school bus full of kids and demand a huge ransom. And who better to steal from than the government? To them, they thought this would be nothing. Two years ago, in 1974, Governor Ronald Reagan had made an announcement that there was a $5 billion budget surplus in California. A school bus would have multiple children, which meant more money, and the school bus was the government's responsibility. There was no way they wouldn't pay, especially if the victims are little kids. And... This could inspire a film. Fred already had a production company. His friend could produce the film, and he'd make twice as much. Fred talked about the idea for a while, and it actually started to sound like a really good idea to James and Rick. They were in. This is so stupid. I mean, okay, the money thing, whatever, but carrying out this act in order to be able to recreate it in a film is so dumb dude he thought like oh it's gonna be in the news and then you can make a movie after it like yeah. just like the zodiac killer and dirty Harry. yeah i gotcha but guess what he had a fucking huge ass inheritance coming to him he was so wealthy they both like both of the families were he just couldn't wait they just wanted Ferraris. Well, he was 24, you said? Yeah. Why didn't he have access to all this money? It was after his parents died that he would get it. I see. So he would have had to wait until he was, like, probably... Yeah, so he wanted to make his own way. Like, he didn't want to have to borrow money from mommy and daddy anymore. He yeah. wanted to, like, get his money, start, do, like, have a successful film and his production company. But, like, the reason... They still had access to money with their families. If they wanted to do anything they wanted, they could. Yeah. I'm sure their parents would support them. But right. what they wanted were more cars. <laughs> they wanted to be cool. This area where they were living in, it was so affluent that they had to be the coolest with their Ferraris and just, like, being super cool. So that's the whole goal. Hate it. Hate it. Yeah. Fred, James, and Rick started to meticulously plan. It took over a year for them to get all their ducks in a row. It was very involved. Jesus. Well, they it, didn't do a very good job in the end. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you just wait, Mallory. You just wait. <laughs> a kid escaped. 
But that kid, um, I don't know if I could do that. That's true. But that kid was, I know. I just wanted he to. He was a cowboy. I just wanted to insult them. <laughs> but you have plenty of reason to insult them. Like, just listen. Okay. So they planned this for over a year, and they had to trace a bus route, convert the vans into holding cells, yeah. procure the moving van, and dig out the underground bunker. That too, I didn't so think about that. Much work, and they didn't. The Corey dude like warned them or whatever. Yeah, that have taken so long. Yeah, there's no way he was. He wasn't just like, oh, that's the owner's son. We'll just let him do whatever. But I mean, at least he documented it. They did say that they they did most of it in the middle of the night, and I don't know mm. if the Corey people were there during that time. Oh, okay. But they had spotted the moving vans, and they had spotted the bulldozers and things. Okay. But they didn't, like, know what they were doing. Yeah. I think they did it in the middle of the night. I would have gone over there and looked. (laughs) Yeah, like, what's going on? Yeah, what the hell is this? James Schoenfeld kept a notebook documenting their plans. It all sounded like the imagination of teenage boys. Completely unrealistic. They decide... Five million sounds like a doable ransom, and they plan to ask for it to be delivered to a drop site in the Santa Cruz Mountains via plane. So they're they're asking the government for five million for ransom. Yeah, they were going to send a ransom to the police of Chowchilla asking for this ransom of five million dollars, and they wanted them to deliver it via drop site in the Santa Cruz Mountains via plane. And at that point, they were going to drive their blacked-out Cadillac to retrieve the money. And I guess it's going to be in the dark, so like no one could see them. They could get the money and go. Mm. Still seems flawed. I mean, it's just <laughs> stupid all around. Yes, it's so stupid. It's stupid all around. <laughs> How did you do that voice? <laughs> I felt like that's what I sounded like the first time I said it. So okay. I just exaggerated it. So, they had that really good plan of dropping off the money, the Cadillac retrieving the money. They spray painted it black so no one would ever see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they also buy an x-ray machine from an army surplus store to make sure the suitcases of money weren't bugged. They also made bulletproof vests out of scrap metal. This is crazy. These are just like they a bunch were gonna... of boys like, let's make bulletproof vests. Okay. So I worked for a vet right out of high school that was straight out of the 70s, basically. And we had, I mean, it was ancient. And all the technology was ancient. And the x-ray machine was ancient. And it was huge. So they were (laughs) planning to bring the, I mean... What were they going to do? Take it to wherever they put the x-ray machine and just not talk until they x-rayed the suitcases? Like I don't know. That is so fucking weird. I don't know. They wanted to make sure that the money wasn't tracked or bugged. I know, but like they would have to make sure that they didn't say anything until they got a chance to x-ray it. Why? And there is no way. Because if it was bugged, then they were screwed. Why? If they said anything incriminating is what I mean. Oh, yeah, that's easy. I guess so, but I just feel like these stupid asses would probably not. I think they just wanted to buy more shit to make them feel like spies. Yeah, or probably like some cool criminals. 
So Fred also rents a safe house for them in Reno, Nevada, and he gets a fake passport under the name Ralph Snyder, which reminds me of the demon from Lori Vallow. Something Snyder. Uh, What was the first name? I don't remember. I don't think it was Ed. Ned. Ned. Ned Ned Schneider. Schneider. (laughs) Ralph Schneider. (laughs) So for all that planning that they did, they sure did manage to fuck it all up. Yeah. The first half of their plan worked perfectly, but the second part, the whole reason they even committed this atrocious crime did not go as planned. After unloading their victims into the hole, they left to call in the ransom to the Chowchilla police. But the phone lines were tied up with the media and frightened parents because we're in the 70s. Yeah. And there's only so many phone lines. That makes sense. So they decided they were just going to go home and take a nap and try again later. But while these idiots were sleeping soundly, the kids were making their escape. Yeah. When the kidnappers turned on the news, they saw that the children escaped and had been rescued. By the time they were... <laughs> oh my God, no way. That's They never even incredible. called in the ransom. That's crazy. So, fuck up number one, not leaving anybody to guard the site. I mean, I guess yes. they would have seen them, like the quarry workers would have seen them, but... That's how they get rescued. Yeah. Fuck up number two. Maybe have your ransom note already like mailed somewhere or. Yes. Plan ahead. Mail it like the day before. This is why I think females would be better at getting the ransom. I could pull off some. some I I got several plans in mind right now. (laughs) I think about the details. (laughs) I'm detail oriented. (laughs) I'm a planner. <laughs> For instance, Brent <laughs> so Brent mopped the hallway today and didn't finish the edge. And also, he didn't sweep any of the edges of the <laughs> kitchen. And I was going to kill him because there was so much crap everywhere. And he's like, oh, I finished it. And I was like, no, you didn't. This is the worst analogy ever. Never mind. <laughs> You can just vent. It's okay. We'll just, yeah. I guess I just needed to vent. <laughs> well, this morning I woke up and I was like, okay, I gotta finish this story. Gotta finish this story. Tudor, you got Adrian today. You're gonna have a fun day. Whatever. And he's like, no, uh, this guy is coming today to look at replacing our little wooden stairs. So we need to clean the entire house because he might come into the house. <sighs> oh my God. And I was God. like, Tudor, just tell him not to come into the house. Yeah. That he can't. Yeah. Come into the house because I can't clean up your messes right now. You can't keep your messes. Literally, if I do anything in the house, I pick up after myself. I put it away. I like clean up. I like do the dishes. I unload the dishes. I do that. But if he does anything, he just like leaves it all. I'm going to projectile vomit because of it's all my rage. I understand. I'm like, he's like, help me clean up. It's a mess. I'm like, dude. Do I cook food in this kitchen? I'm so glad that you cook food for yourself, but do I cook food in this kitchen? (laughs) No, I don't. Yeah. 
you do. All of these dishes here, they're yours. They're yours, not and mine. And all of the shit that you splattered all over the counter, <laughs> that's yours too. Yeah. And all of the shit that you just dropped on the floor and didn't pick up, that's also yours. Every so I can't really tell you how to live, but I'm just going to say maybe clean up as you go because that's what I do and it works out. Yeah. And maybe if we were divorced, then <laughs> I would have a clean house, but I don't want to get divorced. So maybe just like change your ways of living. Yeah. Oh my God. I don't even want to go into my rant. <laughs> we'll save it. <laughs> so the kids were being rescued. They saw it on the news. They fucked up. Oh, yeah. They never yeah. called in the ransom. They couldn't. So plan B. James and Rick met Fred at his house, and they planned their escape from there. It was only a matter of time before they got caught. Yeah, you're fucked, bud. After learning about Fred Woods, the investigators got a search warrant for the Woods' 100-acre Portola Valley estate. Their land was littered with old cars, antique Rolls Royces, war surplus Jeeps, Bentleys, you name it. There was another building behind the home that served as a garage. They were told that Fred lived in the apartment above. When they entered, they noticed the place looked like a hoarder lived there. I'm not surprised. No. There were old movie cameras strewn all over the place and a desk littered with papers. One item of note was a manila envelope labeled The Plan. The Plan. God, be more obvious. Inside was the sequence of events that was to be carried out. What a fucking idiot. Don't label it anything. Just know this envelope is there. Or don't even write it down. I mean, I, I mean, they would have found it anyway, but that was so stupid, dude. So let's try and read this terrible handwriting. <laughs> it says plan. Stop a bus. Transfer the, the occupants. Put occupants to sleep. Take occupants to hide out. Lock them in. What does put occupants to sleep I mean? I guess they wanted to do some like chloroform situation. No, oh, but they didn't end up doing it. No. Yeah. Then they say, next is ransom, but they spell it (laughs) R-A-N-S-O-M-E. Take clothes and leave in suitcases. Police find clothes and instructions. Police follow instructions with certain precautions. Occupants return unharmed. Investigation. Police backtrack. Police know. Moving van used. Welder used. Dodge van used. Approximate size, voice, age of captors, tire prints, catalog, and description of buyer, light. I I can't read this handwriting, but their plan is all written down for the police to find, a.k.a. dumb. Um, My favorite part of this whole thing, multiple places in parentheses next to some of these lines, hope for best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. Stop a bus. Hope for best. No. I don't know what that one says. Plan must be fast. Transfer the occupants. Hope for best. Put occupants to sleep. Hope for best. Take Take occupants to hide out. Hope for best. Lock them in. I don't know what that says. Refrigerate. Safeguard? Safeguard, yeah. Take clothes and leave in suitcases. Hope and safeguard. 
Oh my god! Like they think they are like some kind of freaking brilliant geniuses. Yeah. In reality, why would you even write the words "hope for best" on there? They're not necessary. <laughs> Obviously, you're gonna hope for the best. <laughs> They also found an empty jack-in-the-box bag with all the children's names, their ages, and their parents' names. Oh, yeah. So this is when each child was brought out before they were put in the hole. I like how they wrote, just had a birthday. What are these weird details? This looks like my dad's handwriting. Ooh, really? That's weird. I know. And my dad, like, writes lists all the time So on anything. So it really was like, wow, was my dad a kidnapper? <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think so. There's a lot of Robins. Oh, there, you said there were siblings. Though. Yeah, there were a lot of, there were some siblings and cousins. Oh, okay. So, so sad. That's super sad. And then they found a rough draft of a ransom note. Oh, my God. I cannot imagine how stupid this is. We can try and read it. Okay. Put $2.5 million in each of the suitcases. I can't even already. I saw some a line that is just so fucking dumb. Use old bills. Have ready at the Oakland Police Station. Further instructions pending until 10.05 p.m. Sunday. We are Beelzebub. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. Take suitcases to Oakland International Airport. Have CHP plane pick up and transfer same at a thousand above ground level to Santa Cruz. Direct them follow Highway 17 back to Oak International. Speed should be 120 miles per hour at ground speed. Rest of message in five minutes. Call Fred at other phone. Fred calls and delivers final message. Watch for lights. Blah, blah, blah. It stops. (laughs) But they claimed they were members of a satanic cult called (laughs) Beezlebub. They didn't even spell it right. But as you can see, they don't know how to spell that. Yeah. What is that, Mallory? You can probably tell us. It's the name of a demon. Mm. It's a biblical name of a demon. But it's supposed to be Beelzebub. (laughs) Beelzebub. Okay. I thought it was Beezlebub. (laughs) <laughs> Beezlebub <laughs> I was like that's cute Beezlebub Beezlebubby He's a bubby That is cute Beelzebub not so much Beelzebub I am I am Beelzebub I am Beelzebub But that wasn't the only idiotic mistake The ransom note mentions Fred by name Yes what the fuck I didn't even pick up on that God damn But wait Nothing had been called in. Authorities issued an all-points bulletin for Fred Woods, James Schoenfeld, and his brother Rick Schoenfeld. But by that point, they were cashing in their chips and trying to make a break for it. I bet their parents were like, what the fuck? (laughs) And when their names were like put out in this APB, Mm -hmm. everyone who knew them was like so shocked. Yeah. The Schoenfelds were such polite boys. They came from a very respectful family. Like, their dad was a doctor. They were very well off. And, like, they were just, like, kind people. Yeah. And everyone knew Fred's family, like, in the area, right? And Fred's family. Like, they were, like, very well known. Fred, on the other hand, he was seen as, like, a loner. And, like, but he had never really 
done anything before. I mean, the three of them had got pulled over once for like joyriding, but that was about it. But like, it was pretty shocking. Yeah. These well off kids doing this. Why? People were pissed that they were asking for this money because they had more money than the town. Yes, dude. This right. I saw like a, somebody had created a GoFundMe, I guess at some point for Trump's legal fund. Are you kidding me? A billionaire? (laughs) I hate everything. Me too. So Fred and James were at the safe house in Nevada, but Fred ditched James with his fake passport and caught a flight to Vancouver. Such a good friend. (laughs) Yeah, well. So James decided to drive to Idaho in an attempt to cross the border. The border. (laughs) The border. In an attempt to cross the border into Canada. But he was incredibly nervous, which caused suspicion, and Border Control searched his vehicle. He was turned away due to his trunk full of guns. Bro! (laughs) What are you doing? So James drives to Spokane, Washington, finds a sporting goods store where he sells his guns and makes another effort to enter Canada. But again, his car is searched and more guns are discovered. Fred had left some in the center console and he'd also somehow missed some guns in the trunk. How How? did you miss the guns in the trunk? You literally just took the guns out of the trunk and sold them. How did you miss the guns in the trunk? Maybe he had a bunch of crap in his trunk. Otherwise, like other crap. I have no idea. Maybe it looks like my trunk. (laughs) My trunk is... But if you're looking for guns in your car... Yeah, yeah. You're going to find them, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you are... Yes, that's so stupid. I would empty it, finding all the guns. I'd be like, okay, is there anything else incriminating in here? absolutely. I would sell the car. (laughs) Yeah, I'd like literally walk across the border. Yeah. (laughs) He decided to drive back to Idaho, sell the guns, and trade in his car for another, just like you had mentioned. (laughs) But at that point, he'd lost all resolve. He decided it was time to face the music. (sighs) He actually did have a conscience. Like, he was just kind of dumb. So was his brother. They were just kind of like, whatever, like yeah. going along with it. I don't know. They I didn't have the conscience. If it was like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, this is total speculation. I wonder if it was like a dynamic where Fred was kind of the ringleader. He definitely was the ringleader. And they were just like doing whatever he wanted because they thought he was wealthy or cool or whatever. Well, James did chronically journal and he had written about how Fred was always like, bossing them around, telling them what to do and how he thought Mm -hmm. he was immoral and how he was feeling guilty about certain things. Yeah. And oddly, James also wrote in code, which was that journal. You remember the the code? He had his own like code system that he wrote in, which I'd never even heard of before. Why would you even do that? I have no idea. I guess so people don't read their journal. Yeah, true. But like, that's a lot of brain power. I know. Why don't, don't you use I that toward do, making getting a job or something? Way too lazy to do that. I can't even write in a journal like in English. Me neither. So. I haven't since I was in high school. I used to write chronically in a journal. Chronically. Chronic journaler. <laughs> yeah. It's good for you. It is, but I can't do it anymore. Me neither. 
unless I'm really mad and I'm like, I can't tell anyone this, but I have to say something. I've thought about doing it again. Just and it's only because I've been so pissed. Yeah. Just gotta get it out. Yeah. But I never did. <laughs> also, I think I would like look back at it and be like, shut up, bitch. <laughs> You're not supposed to look back at it. So we left off saying he decided it was time to face the music. So he decided to head home to turn himself in. But he couldn't even manage to do that because the APB on his plates got him pulled over and arrested. Christ. He's got... (laughs) So ridiculous. Meanwhile... Fred was in a Vancouver hotel. He was just watching the news, watching his own news, mm-hmm. drinking coffee and writing a letter to his film school friend telling him that his failed heist would make a good movie and that uh. he should totally cash in on it. He wrote, my ending is not exciting enough, so you might have to kill some people or something. If you do make it a film, all I want is a percentage of it. You make it up. I don't care how much, but be fair. End quote. But he spells fair. F-A-R-E. Okay. And I don't like it. I don't like that either. Fred literally churned out a movie script about it called Chain Reaction. He wrote a movie script. Chain Reaction. (laughs) And basically it was a ripoff of many different heist movies, but the most notable being Dirty Harry. Yeah. Fred walked to the post office to mail the letter, but a tip had been called in, and as he left the post office, he was met with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. RCMP, baby! Fred's response? I am really sorry I'm going to miss this on the news tonight. What? That was wild, yeah. He's like, I hear That's to watch- what he said? Yeah. He wanted to watch it on the news. He's a narcissist. Yeah, that sounds pretty narcissistic. And Rick, little Rick, Ricky, little Ricky, he voluntarily turned himself in eight days after the kidnapping, accompanied by his daddy and his attorney. (laughs) Fred and James were brought in two weeks after. Their bail was set at $1 million. That's a lot for that time. Yeah, they decided to set it high because they knew how wealthy these people were. And the severity of the crime, like, warranted them being in prison so they didn't want them to get out these do not look like 20 year olds i'm sorry 24 24 22 that's insane to me all three pleaded guilty to kidnapping for ransom and robbery but refused to enter a guilty plea to infliction of bodily harm the infliction of bodily harm in conjunction with the kidnapping charge would carry a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole Bitch, that's like all you did was inflict bodily harm. Yeah, I'd say. They were tried, found guilty, and were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Thank God. Many of the children testified in the case, but to everyone's disappointment, the kidnappers filed an appeal, and in 1980, (gasps) the bodily harm charge was overturned (gasps) by an appellate court which found that physical injuries sustained by the children did not meet the standard (gasps) for bodily harm under the law. Uh Uh-uh. Yeah. Oh my God. They were resentenced. Do you know how fucked up they must be from that? I mean, I know it's not quote-unquote bodily harm, but... 
it technically is because yeah. you have damaged a child's mind. Yes. Which is worse than breaking their arm. Yeah. Absolutely. Way worse. Fuck off, dude. I'm so mad. They were resentenced to life with the possibility of parole. This was heartbreaking for the victims. Every five years, the kidnappers underwent a parole hearing, and many of the survivors wanted to be a part of the process. They showed up to every single one to make sure these men weren't released. It was exhausting. They had to each tell their story each and every time. They never got closure or the rest they deserved. Around 2010, public support was being shown for the kidnappers. How? Huh? In 2010, public support was being shown for the kidnappers. Huh? <laughs> what do you mean? What In what fucking reality is that logical? How? How? Well, can you guess? Like, they're rich. Because they're family. Did they put out, like, propaganda or something? I don't know, like, how it happened, but... A detective from the case being one of the supporters. Fuck off. A literal detective on the on case. On the case. Prosecuting these guys was one Get of the them. Get the fuck out. Go. And you know why, I bet? Because he was getting paid. Oh, yeah. So this was a slap to the face for the survivors, as he was one of the people who assured them they would never get out. He knew the victims, and many times he approached them, offering them money to change their position. It's fucked <laughs> They declined, but one of them didn't, and that was the beginning of the end. Rick Schoenfeld was paroled from prison in June 2012, and his Whoa. brother, James Schoenfeld, was released in August 2015. God. Fred Woods, on the other hand, in 2016... A workers' comp lawsuit filed against Woods revealed that he had been running several businesses, including a gold mine, a car dealership, and a Christmas tree farm from behind bars without notifying prison authorities. What? Dude. What? <laughs> Fuck. The heir to two wealthy California families, he inherited his trust fund from his parents. He also continuously gets caught with contraband like porn and cell phones Ugh. and he uses the cell phones to run his businesses oh my god he's also been married three times while in prison mm. and recently bought a mansion on the coast and from his prison wife at the time whenever just gets to live there i, I don't know dude maybe i should marry him <laughs> well by october 2019 Woods had been denied parole 19 times, <laughs> but he was recommended for parole on March 25th, 2022. Oh my God. But the approval of the full parole board was required. Is he like in his 60s, 70s? He'd have to be right. So he's 24 and 76. Six, so he was born in 52. No. Yeah, 52, right? So he'd be like almost 70, I think. I don't know if I can do math right now. 76 minus 24. 1952. Oh, yeah. How the hell did I do that? 24 minus 1952. He's 72. Damn, you math whiz. <laughs> it's because I've been doing invoices lately. <laughs> 
So he needed the full parole board to approve the request. And on August 17th, 2022, Fred Woods' parole was granted and he was released from prison. So and I bet all three of them were released. God, this is crazy to see them so old. And I could tell he was balding. We saw the comb over. Yes, dude. (laughs) We saw the comb over from day one. Yep, we sure did. Dang. So, some good things, I guess, that came out of this. I don't know. Wow. They're tall. Six foot two, dude. Oh, wow. Is that what that means? Seven foot four? I mean, (laughs) seven. 74 inches is what I meant. 74 inches is Dude, stop making six me do foot. math. Do your own math. 74 inches is six, six foot two. Oh. Okay. While a parade to celebrate your safety, a day that honors your bravery, and a trip to Disneyland sounds nice, the real silver lining was the attention this case brought to how traumatic events can affect children. Yeah. News headlines suggested that the kids bounced back, but the field of child trauma psychiatry was still in its infancy. Most experts believed that kids weren't affected by traumatic events, that they were endlessly resilient. Heck, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, wasn't even a thing yet. Child and adolescent psychiatrist Lenore Terre decided to take a closer look. She was fascinated in how children were affected by being scared to death, but living through it. How does such intense fear affect a young mind? When she heard about what happened in Chowchilla, she knew this would be the perfect natural case study. She met with the children and could see the damage this horrible event had already caused. Many kids, five months after the event, were still having night terrors, waking up their parents screaming. Many lost their confidence and self-worth. Others struggled with intense fear and anxiety, while others had behavioral issues. She met with 23 of the children and a small group of parents, sessions lasting up to three hours each. She'd check in with each of them over the years and document how they were handling the trauma. Many were struggling with the law, addiction, anger problems, It was an inevitable result of the horrific situation they had endured. Quote, that kidnapping and that threat of death left an imprint that many of them never fully recovered from. And we know that now, decades later, that that is the usual course of events following catastrophic trauma. Thanks to Tara's work in Chowchilla, mental health experts have a better understanding that childhood trauma has lasting consequences. And now healthcare providers have evidence-based treatments that can help children struggling with trauma. So I just pulled up a photo of the children after the kidnapping with Ed Ray. And a lot less of them. A few of the survivors now. A few of them really kept in touch. Oh, okay. They have like a group text and they really support each other and show up to all of the uh, parole hearings. And if you watch the documentary that I watched. It's called Chow Chilla. It's on HBO Max and it was made by CNN. You will see a bunch of the kids in that documentary. You'll see Mike Marshall, who was the little cowboy oh, wow. who got them out. You'll see 
Larry Park, who was another child who really struggled. He went to prison at one point, and then he became a pastor. He actually didn't know if I wanted to mention this because I don't know how I feel about it, but he could not forgive the kidnappers. So he thought he just needed to like talk to them, go and meet them. And there's like a prison program where you can meet your, the person who has like hurt you in some way. He met them and he forgave them and he asked them to forgive him because he struggled or he was tortured for 36 hours by them but he had tortured himself for 38 years yeah because of the prison he put himself in in his mind but and i don't that is also their fault i know it's not I, his fault that see, he's putting himself i was in like a... i don't think you need to ever apologize to anyone no. for that like no but i guess he felt the need he had to do that because he felt so guilty about never being able to get over it it's not his fault I know. There were some victims who fought long and hard on the parole board who struggled with addiction and did not make it. They ended up having alcoholism and passing away and had kids. It was awful. Like, this really affected a lot of people and families as well. It wasn't just the individuals. Like, it, it caused divorces. Oh, yeah. It it was terrible. So, I mean, this wasn't just, like, a broken arm, a stab wound. It wasn't, like, a gunshot wound that you can heal from. It was permanent, and it reverberated right. through generations. Right. And you have to think, like, childhood trauma. Think of all the instances of childhood trauma. Like, think about kids who are separated from their parents on the border, taken from their parents. (sighs) Yeah. Think about kids who experience a mass shooting in their school. Mm -hmm. Think about kids who, I don't know, there's so many examples, unfortunately. Especially Um, in our country, unfortunately. But it affects all the kids, like, and it doesn't stop. Like, it doesn't just end with a happy ending like it's Mm. something that they're gonna definitely need to work on and i mean yeah good things can happen to them but they're always gonna carry that yeah they're always gonna remember but luckily that mental health system has progressed and there are ways to get through it but it's never gonna be good it's never gonna be the same right so a positive that came through this is the progress made to child psychiatry and it's said that each and every child involved in this is a hero because they added to the research they Mm -hmm. they have just moved us forward with um psychiatry for children and adolescents so that's all i got i think that was incredible. Like, this is probably one of my favorite episodes you've ever done. I'm oh, not, really? I'm not even kidding you. I'm not even kidding. This is so good. Oh, This is crazy. I know. It's really crazy and really sad, but I'm really glad they got out. Um, yeah. yeah. And they're so precious. You guys have to watch the documentary Chow Chilla on HBO Max. I'm going to watch it. My other sources include an article on Vox, which was so good the writer was really funny making fun of the kidnappers on every (laughs) every turn like so dumb it was really great it's called the ballad of the chowchilla bus kidnapping and a few articles from cnn 
called Chowchilla details how 26 kids were buried alive in California and how they escaped and how a 1976 kidnapping transformed our understanding of childhood trauma. I also got some information from the City of Chowchilla website. And then from All That's Interesting, they had an article called Chowchilla Kidnapping When 26 Kids Were Buried Alive in a School Bus. But they weren't buried alive in a school bus. And they were yeah, alive. I was about to say, wait. All They're buried alive in a movie. Get man. your facts together. <laughs> yeah. Um, all that's interesting. I don't know. I like your website, but <laughs> you're right. So that's in, that's all, man. That's in, that's all. <laughs> okay. <sighs> that was really good. I really, great. really, that was great. Awesome. Great job. Yes. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad it didn't end in anybody's death. I know. I mean, eventually, I guess it did, but. Yeah, I have been really struggling to find stories I want to do because I don't, like, I can't, I don't know, like, it's been hard to really go through, like, really, really scary things. I don't know. I'm yeah, in a weird mood. It, like, But it's hard. I mean, this, all we have done, except for when I did, like, the Lake City Quiet Pills or, like, other random stuff has been dark shit. So it's yeah. like... I don't know. I want to find something that's like weird and interesting, not necessarily extremely depressing, you know? Yeah. But it's hard to find that stuff because it's usually like fringe stuff that nobody really cares about that much. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. I don't know all that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I was watching Unsolved Mysteries the other day. Am I gone? And I learned that Antarctica has pyramids. Okay. Is that real? Well, that's what the unsolved mystery said. Because there's a subreddit dedicated to weird things in Antarctica on Google Maps. And there's like weird shit that people find, but I feel like it might. Because like the imaging or whatever is kind of fucked up at the poles. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just like weird ice formations or like. Would they not have gone and looked at it before they said that? What do you mean? They're not looking at Google Maps and saying, "Oh, we found a pyramid." They oh, I'm not talking about I'm talking about the subreddit, not unsolved mysteries. I don't know. Yeah, I don't that's what I, I would was assume they would go there and physically check before they put that on unsolved mysteries. I hope. Well, did they have any like video? They had some pictures. But they also mentioned that Antarctica wasn't always the Arctic. It used to be a oh, rainforest. Yeah. <gasps> And they, like, took samples from the bottom of the ocean, and there was organic matter that is only found in tropical biomes. Oh, my God. Anyway, that kind of stuff interests me. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, I would that. love to hear more about that. Let's. Oh, you know what? I have a story that features Antarctica that I have not done yet. Oh. But it is about... Is it about ancient aliens? No. <laughs> it... <laughs> It's about, I don't know if I should even say it, but it's about the only murder that ever happened on Antarctica. Well, I don't know about that, but I do know <laughs> that I watched True Detective on HBO Max. Yeah, I need to watch and that. And this season, it takes place in Alaska during the dark time where it's all dark. All dark all the time. Yeah. yeah and it is so creepy. I, the Arctic and like just cold ash fucking 
ass fucking places fascinate me. Like my number one bucket list item is to see the Aurora Borealis. Number one. What? <laughs> what? What's a nipple called? Areola. <laughs> <laughs> the Areola Borealis. Areola Borealis. <laughs> The embryo Alabama areola aureolus. <laughs> oh my god. Aurora Borealis, bitch. <laughs> That's, I also want to see that. I want to go to Norway. Yeah. Norway. Norge. <laughs> oh, sorry, Barry. Okay. I just hit my cat in the face. So, uh, well, I'm sorry, guys. No. That was a weird ending, but anyway. <laughs> I guess you got anything else? Nope. <laughs> okay. Just follow us on Instagram to see pictures from this episode or Facebook where you're welcome to join and we'll add you and you can talk about whatever the hell you want. Be our friend. Yeah. And then you could also, what else can they do? Um, Give us a rating on yes, Apple Podcasts. Rate Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you have any constructive feedback, you may email us. Please do not leave us a negative review. If you could give us some feedback, that would be great. If we fuck something up, we want to know. Like, generally, we're not trying to fuck anything up. And also, we want everyone to like us because I have a raw car. I just need everyone to like me. And then you can, if you feel so inclined and you want to monetarily support us, you may donate on our buy us a coffee page yeah which it's all linked in our instagram and yeah. also we could probably put it in our episode description too if you, that's what do we do that i did do that last okay, time cool cool. Cool, cool 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 all right well i gotta go to bed so good night goodbye